Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeffrey M. Roach, and I am so excited to be here with you as we add up Health Up and transform healthcare through innovative education and workforce solutions. Our healthcare system is facing global workforce crises at all levels and roles. The solution to this challenge requires an ecosystem approach, bringing together healthcare, higher education, and workforce development in a manner that develops new pathways to careers, refining academic programs to ensure they meet the healthcare industry needs, and embracing certificates and certifications as a vital part of the solution. Today, we are joined by Sean Nason, founder and CEO of Mophie, best-selling author and former Walt Disney Imagineer. Sean lives his life with a commitment to create radical relationships with everyone he meets. He's armed with a gift of discernment. He has the uncanny ability to walk alongside people and organizations as they struggle to connect with their deepest passions. And he challenges the world around him to be fully present, get real, and lead most importantly with empathy. On a mission to disrupt the status quo, Sean has dared all change makers to pour their hearts into their work while doubling down on a commitment to humanize their experience ecosystems. He's the person in the room who's undeterred by convention, unafraid to dream big and unable to settle for mediocrity. Prior to launching Mofi, Sean was the chief experience and transformation officer for Healthways and also served as the chief innovation officer for Xavier University. He also spent six years at the Walt Disney Company in various capacities within Walt Disney Imagineering and the Disney Cruise Line. Sean, it is so wonderful to have you here on EdUp Health Up, and it's uh, also just awesome to see you and yeah. would, would appreciate if you wouldn't just take some time just to share with us a little bit more about, you know, your work and, and you know, what kind of brought you into this work? Yeah, well, it's great to be here and um, great to be talking with you. And um, it's funny as I listen um, to you read the bio, I kind of just shake my head and go, how in the heck did I get where I'm at? <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, um, I, I tell people, Jeffrey, that I, I'm in my fifth career. Hmm. Um, and so my first career, I was a musician. Um, that's what I went to college for first. Um, studied piano and voice. And then I traveled um, professionally um, for a time being. And then I became a pastor. Um, and my wife and I got married and we were pastors, uh, for about 10 years of our marriage. Um, and that actually landed us in Orlando, Florida. Um, and my wife actually worked in healthcare. Um, she worked for a hospital system, um, in Orlando at the time. And she said to me, um, when I, when I was stepping away from, from working in the church full time, she said to me, well, why don't you go to work for Disney? We both love Disney. And, um, the fact of the matter is, you know, we could have some great discounts. I said, sure. I said, I would love to do that. I said, but there's only one thing. I won't go to work to Disney um, as an entertainer. I didn't want to do entertainment anymore. And so um, if people that know anything about music know that music is nothing but numbers. And um, I'm, I was a prodigy with numbers. So prodigy musically and so I said you know what I'm gonna apply for a finance role and um, I got it <laughs> um, amazingly and through that journey um, at Disney it took me as as you were reading through Disney Cruise Line then ultimately became a Disney Imagineer um, and in that time I went back and got my bachelor's degree in finance and a master's degree in finance um, as well um, and became one of the controllers for 
Walt Disney Imagineering and worked on some amazing projects. Um, it's uh, set in my bio for six years. Um, and then the time came for me to leave the company. And that's that's a whole nother story. Um, other than we wanted to start a family and we needed to go from being a two income family to a one income family. And that wasn't going to take place uh, being at Disney. And so I got recruited to Humana. And that was my step into healthcare. And Humana really wanted um, to start focusing on member experience. And so they loved the fact that I had worked in finance, but I had a huge guest experience mindset. It's just the Disney way. You either are that way or you're not when you work for Disney. And I was always um, a backstage cast member. I was never on stage. Um, but I knew that everything that I did affected that four-year-old princess or pirate's life. And so through that journey, um, went to Humana, had an awesome time, an amazing time um, working around member experience and some strategic innovation projects. And I did that for three years. Um, and then I made the next logical step in your career, and I went to higher ed. Um, and that's a whole nother story. Um, that's when I became chief innovation officer at Xavier and um, was there for almost 18 months. Um, and it was some of my best learnings and some of my um, worst mistakes in my career. And when I left that is when I started um, then the Nation Group, which is now Mofi. Um, and here we are today, we focus um, primarily around the experience ecosystem and have done a ton of work in the healthcare space. Um, and I love the fact of what you're talking about, how, how you take healthcare um, and what's happening there in the workforce and higher ed, and how do we really begin to think differently? And I think that's really important to, to have real honest conversations around that. So, you know, Sean, I'm so intrigued because obviously, you know, you, you've been on the payer side, uh, you've, done an, you've done an incredible amount of work around the experience, uh, human-centered experience design within healthcare. Um, but then you've also, you know, obviously been on, uh, on the higher education side. And so, I mean, you walked all, all walks of what we're talking about within this ecosystem. And you've also been trained at what, you know, by far is the best service delivery, uh, you know, that healthcare has looked to for, for many, many years. I mean, when you yep. say onstage, offstage, I immediately, you know, went back to our, our patient relations trainings uh, that I used to have to do. And, and uh, in fact, I was just telling someone recently about onstage, offstage, and, and just coaching them on a discussion we were having. But I'm curious from your perspective, I mean, having seen all those facets and, and different industries, when you look at what we're facing today with workforce challenges, um, but also just cultural challenges, what, what would you say you saw in all of that, that, that gives you some aspect of hope? Or what would you say you learned in those uh, industries that you feel may help us put forward some solutions? Yeah, so I, you know, I actually tell people about my very first day at Disney. Um, and so Disney has a thing called traditions. Um, and everybody, it doesn't matter what level, CEO to someone who working in custodial services, everyone goes through traditions. And I remember walking up um, on my very first day and I stood up, you know, went to the table and the lady asked for my name and the cast member did and I told her and she said, okay, yeah, got you. And she said, um, she said we, we have one um, thing we need to discuss. And I said, okay. And she said, um, well, you know, we have a Disney look and we have a Disney way. 
and um, your hair is actually a little too spiky. Um, and we can't take your badge picture with your hair the way that it is. And um, which back then, when I went to work for them in 2005, I was not near as progressive in hairdos as I am today, for those that know me or follow me. <laughs> and um, I was like caught off guard at first. And she's like, you know, we have a vending machine over here or there's a Publix right down the road. Um, and she's like, you've got about 30 minutes before we start. Um, or we can reschedule your traditions to next week. And I said, well, I'll run to Publix real fast. So I went back, got in my car, left Disney University, ran to Publix, um, bought a brush, bought hairspray, um, got, you know, walked into the bathroom of the Publix, watered it down, flattened it. She told me how it needed to look and came back. And she's like, perfect, great. Took a picture, walked in traditions, and that started my journey through Disney. And people were like, well, Sean, didn't that offend you? And I was like, you know what? No. Um, because Disney knew what they wanted. Um, and, and at that time, the Disney way and the Disney look was very different than it is today, 18 years later. Right? And so progressively, they've had to change with times. Healthcare needs to progressively change with times. Um, I still say we're in a very antiquated system. We still look at things in healthcare very, you know, 1980s. Um, I don't understand why we still have workforces working 12 hour shifts. I still don't understand why we have residents that could be there 24 hours and all that that's not healthy for the human and frankly i would be i would wonder how many medical um mishaps and mistakes take place because of that and if we change that what it could look like and so i think what i learned from that experience is you have to progressively change um, you know, and I've seen Disney do it. Um, and that that is great to see, but they still have their Disney look. You still have to have a Disney look, um, but it's progressively changed. So why can't we do that in healthcare? Yeah, well, I think you raised such an important point because to your, to your exact point, when we talk about patient safety, um, you know, we know culture impacts patient safety, workforce impacts patient safety, care models, uh, you know, impact patient safety. And, you know, recently I was encouraged, but obviously uh, to, to your earlier point, healthcare oftentimes moves far too slow, but I was encouraged that I saw the, the chief medical officer at Trinity uh, specifically highlight that if we're ever going to address some of the workforce challenges that we face today, but also the one same ones we face today are only going to get worse as time goes on because of the silver tsunami uh, and, and all the retirements that we're going to see among baby boomers specifically, you have to address the care models, uh, which is exactly what you're referring to. I mean, you have to address the shifts. You've got to address the fact that um, there's a lot of things that, that, that are just sort of archaic and, and don't necessarily have to be in the practice today. But, um, you know, obviously you've been in roles where you've worked, uh, you know, certainly on in innovation transformation um, in, 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 in and around healthcare. Um, recognizing that it's challenging to do 
what do you do to really light a match, uh, you know, beyond other people to really realize you've got to do something here. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're far along in this crisis, frankly, uh, without anyone moving quickly enough to try and address this. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because I actually had a call earlier today um, with a very dear friend of mine and uh, who had worked at Kaiser Permanente for 20 years and, uh, and led innovation work there for many of those years and a, a huge group um, that I was a part of was where I met him from. And what was sad to me is we both made a comment about the same thing that healthcare in the 20 years that he's worked there and the, you know, 10 plus years I've worked in healthcare um, really hasn't changed. Um, and I think what we have to realize is moving away from a fee for service model in healthcare is going to take a lot. Yep. And I just don't know that we are going to ever do it. I think the system is too big, too built to move away from a fee-for-service model. Mm -hmm. So let's quit trying to light the match of changing that model, right? It's going to stay fee-for-service. So what can you do incrementally adjacent to that to make the experience more human? Um, and, and even some things, you know, I have a very dear friend um, who's the chief experience officer, Nicole Cable, um, and, you know, just retitling her office from chief, you know, from patient experience to human experience, what a significant change that is. And listen, I've, wor I've worked in this patient experience world for 10 plus years um, and thought I knew it. Um, and you know, this year when I was diagnosed with colon cancer and became a patient in a very different way than I'd ever been, my eyes were opened into some really significant things that we have a breakdown in. Like, why do we have so many, you know, electronic health records or electronic medical systems? And why, why is it so complicated still to get into the system and get through it. And, and I'm really well-educated in the system, right? And so being diagnosed with stage three cancer and having to go through that process and being educated, I've had some times that I have really felt lost mm -hmm. in the system. So I can't imagine, um, and the network I have, I have an amazing network that I can call on of people I can't imagine what it's like for that 99.9999% who don't have that to manage the system today. So if we want to light a fire and light a match under something, let's not try to change the whole system, but let's try to incrementally make things better for the humans. And I say the humans because that's on both sides. That's for the patient and that's for the clinician. Yeah, amen. That's so powerful. And, and actually, you know, obviously, what you're speaking there too is, is, you know, some of the most challenging aspects that our workforce is facing, which is, you know, burnout. Um, and, you know, obviously, you, you have probably experienced this, you know, even as a patient, I'm sure, uh, because obviously, in, in some of the areas that are, are often most impacted are, are, you know, areas of oncology. Um, 
you know, because you have some of the most caring people, but, but also some of the most trying, you know, situations that they're working through. What's interesting, though, is that oftentimes, you know, to your earlier point, um, it is encouraging when you hear, you know, the changing of titles, uh, the changing of departments to be more inclusive. But I'm curious to get your thoughts, because there's also been this move in healthcare right now that, you know, kind of the solution um, there's kind of a couple different solutions, but one of which to deal with burnout is you got to have a chief wellness officer uh, and you also have to have, you know, yoga and snacks and, and these types of things. And I want to get your thoughts because obviously that's not systemic solution to a systemic issue. Um, there's got to be more. And so I want to hear from you as to what you would recommend that if people out there are, you know, our listeners and, and other people in healthcare, what should they be thinking about true experience design to really solve? I mean, you alluded to some of this earlier with shifts and stuff, but what would be some other things you think may be useful for people to consider? Well, well, let's, you know, I, I guess this is getting a little bit on my soapbox. Let's get out of checking the box. Um, so who said we needed a chief wellness officer? Right? Who said that the systems need that? Did, did they really go walk in a day in the life of that clinician? Because, you know, many of those clinicians, that's not what they would say. You know, going to a yoga class during the middle of a shift is not going to help them with burnout. Yep. We have to systemically change how we deal with the workforce. Again, why do we do 12-hour shifts? You know, I hear that and people say, well, we've always done it that way. Okay, great. You've always done it that way. Why do we still do it that way when we know that we're causing burnout? Um, and, and so, especially in those specialty areas, right? Like um, the nurses that, that are at my oncology practice and oncology group, like you said, they see difficult things, difficult cases every day, day after day after day after day, and they try to stay positive. And yet we're making them work 10 and 12 hour days. Yep. So it's not about having a chief wellness officer. It's just simply about thinking about what wellness looks like for that human. Because the reality of it is, and I remember when I first stepped into this space, and I have a very dear friend, his name is Sean Slavinsky, done a ton of work with him. And we were, we were actually doing some wellness work when... Uh, Humana was launching Humana Vitality, which is now Go360. Um, and he said, listen, I don't need to go to the doctor and for the doctor to tell me to quit eating cheeseburgers. I know what I need to eat and what I don't need to eat. You know, I don't need the doctor to tell me I need to lose weight. I know I'm overweight. But what we do need to do is find out what wellness means to each individual. Yep. And I, you know, I remember when I was diagnosed, I had a very dear friend of mine, his name is Zach Hamilton um, in Atlanta. He said to me, Sean, you're going to learn to manage your energy, mm. not your time. Mm. Um, and I never realized how profound that was until I was a couple months into the, the journey. Wow. You know, so I have people say to me all the time, well, are you eating healthy? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no are, are, are you exercising? Um, no. Well, well, you need to be doing that. 
how do you know that I need to be doing that? You know, my oncologist looked at me and said to me when we went in before I started chemotherapy, he said to me, Sean, eat whatever you want whenever you want it. Because there's going to be days that you won't want to eat. And the thought of food will just make you sick. So if you wake up today and you want to eat three slices of cake, eat three slices of cake. Because tomorrow and the next day, you may not eat at all. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird because I've always heard, you know, people that have cancer, you need to eat healthy and you need to try to stay active. And, um, and he said to me, yeah, try to walk 15 minutes a day. But if you can't, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? And I never realized how profound that was. And, and I'm about almost 75% away through my chemo journey. And you know what? It gets harder every treatment. Yeah. That's what people don't understand. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. And so some days if just getting out of bed and walking to the mailbox is all I can do. Yeah. That's wellness for me. Yeah. It's the same thing. Who saved the money? Because also, let's be real. Those systems that are hiring chief wellness officers are hiring doctors. Yeah. So they're not cheap positions. Yeah. Right. So quit, quit doing that. Unless you have, unless you have really gone to do some deep ethnographic research with your staff and your staff says, that's what we want. Great. If not, don't do it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, and to your point, don't just call, you know, we need more resilience either. Um, because the reality, I always tell people, I mean, having worked in and around healthcare, you know, my whole career, but for nine years, uh, almost 10 years specifically as an administrator, that spent a lot of time with our clinicians. Um, I can't think of a healthcare person that isn't resilient. Uh, because the fact is, is they bounce back after every single crisis, every single trauma case, every ICU case. And I think in COVID, we've seen how resilient the healthcare workforce is. Now it's up to us as leaders in the ecosystem to help make the best workplace for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's really what, you know, that's what you're called to do when you're a leader in healthcare is to create the best environment. Now I'm curious though, too, because, you know, to, to what you've alluded to, it's interesting. I mean, you spent 18 months, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a very important executive level role in higher education. And many would subscribe and say that higher education like healthcare is very slow to change. Um, and, and despite knowing some of its challenges, hasn't done all that it can to make the changes that are necessary. Can you share with us, you know, elements of your experience that you think would relate to this as well? Because I'm sure there had to be something in that work that led you to do the work that you do today, because there's very few people that bring as much passion and energy to the work that you do around culture. Yeah, so, wow, higher ed. <laughs> um, I, I tell a story. Um, often about it was probably my second week and um i I was in a all staff administration um faculty meeting and one of the professors i uh, actually assistant deans in the business school stood up and kind of sarcastically said to me sean what would you do to innovate higher ed because, um, you know, we, we have this chief innovation officer now. So what would you do to innovate higher ed? 
And without stopping or thinking, I simply said I would do away with tenure. Eighty mm. percent of the room had tenure. <laughs> um, and my statement still stands true today. I think tenure has become a crutch in higher ed to for many people to hide behind. And so in universities where tenure is very prevalent and very much who and what is controlled at the university, um, I still am very scared that they're not doing enough. I, I remember saying to my provost and president of the university, both of them, I said, give me tenure so I can go out and do wicked cool shit and not get fired. And that today is still what I think needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Get get out. You've got tenure. You're not going to get fired. Go try wicked cool shit. Yep. Go prototype. Go do off the mall things to do stuff to try to change the system. Um, and don't hide behind your tenure. So... Uh, I, I still stay true to that man. <laughs> um, and, and it was it was it was a big learning for me. I still think it's is slow to change as healthcare. Um, and the answer, just like in healthcare, the answer in higher education is not to continue raising tuition. Yep. Um, because the day has come. I have a fourteen year old daughter, who may or may not go to college um, because there's so many other options out there. Um, you know, when you can go to a six month boot camp um, in coding and make just as much money as if you go to college, why go to college? Um, and so, you know, I, I want to say to people in higher ed that are so caught up in that, get off your high horse. And let's really figure out how to to change. Um, and we're seeing it happen in some of the medical schools. Um, they're starting to do things differently. And I think that's going to start being a disruption in the healthcare space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think you raised such an important point because the, the fact of the matter is, is that at the core, you know, higher ed like healthcare, you know, higher ed's there for the students and healthcare is there for the patients. And so if you, if you listen, uh, you know, to both, you can determine your path forward. Um, and then I would add in higher ed, you know, when I think of students, I'm also thinking about organizations um, and I'm thinking about employers. Um, and so, you know, again, when you think of your consumers and your audience, the path is there. You just have to do it and you have to take it and run with it. Um, and today we need more and more just trying, uh, you know, to your point, just try prototyping, just do it. I think the thing that you said there that I I may challenge, at least what I faced in higher ed, is I remember saying several times, the student is our customer. Mm -hmm. And I was frankly yelled at by people to say, we don't have customers. (laughs) And I said, well, who's writing the check? Right? Like, and Xavier's a private Jesuit university. 
there were a lot of our students whose parents wrote checks to pay for their whole thing. And I think at the time when I was there, it was like, you know, almost $70,000 a year. Well, if someone's writing a $70,000 check to send their 18 year old there, they're your customer. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, So I challenge that thought because I don't think higher education still to this day thinks they have a consumer and a customer. Um, And that's what's scary. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I think you're absolutely correct because the reality of it is, is that, you know, if you take that back, you know, peel that onion back further, a lot of higher ed for, for many years, hasn't viewed organizations and employers quote unquote, as their customer. Um, you know, they have viewed it as we develop the solution and we assume they're going to use it and they're going to take it. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why, uh, you know, these types of conversations are so important because the reality of it is you need both and you've got to be working together uh, or you're not going to solve it. Uh, Which you know, you, is why today we have for-profit universities. Yep. Because they listened. Exactly. And they said, you know, they said, you know, when I worked at Disney to go back to get my finance bachelor's, they paid for me. Yeah. Right. And then they sent me to an executive MBA program that they paid for. Yeah. Um, and those were two tradition, untraditional ways of doing it. Um, but yet you do have people in higher ed who say, well, that's not a traditional education. Well, listen, I know people who have bachelor's degrees from your traditional education institutes that don't use their degree for anything. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I just push against that on people. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we're, we're getting close to our time and, um, Every, every guest gets, you know, the same question. Um, so I want to make sure I give you the opportunity as well. And so, you know, obviously, as we, as we close this important discussion, one of, the, one of the elements that I'd like to ask you to give some thought to is really when we look at what, what we know is truly a healthcare workforce crisis. Um, if there was one thing that you would say uh, or encourage people to do that would also, you know, potentially involve educational solutions uh, and or workforce solutions, what would that be and, and how would you do it? Uh, to me, it's pretty simple. Um, to administrators, um, get out of the ivory towers and go on the floors. Higher ed, get out of your ivory towers and get on the floors. Go spend a day, walk in a shift, walk a day in the life of a shift of a nurse or a certified medical assistant or a doctor, and then think about what you're doing um, because you walk a day in it, you, you can, you, you're totally changed. Yeah. Um, and especially now, especially now. Very insightful and also very powerful. Sean, where can individuals find you? Cause I know people always like to connect with you and, and your voice is so important in this work. Yeah. You know, simple um, two places go on LinkedIn. Um, just Sean Nason, um, S-H-A-W-N and then N-A-S-O-N. And you can go to seannason.com or mofi.co. Um, but yeah, I'd love to continue this conversation with anyone. Awesome. Sean, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on EdUp Health Up. And obviously, uh, for all of our listeners, you you clearly see why they call him Sean Man on Fire, Nason, um, because he, he's always uh, eager and willing to share the facts. Um, and clearly, we have to be very willing 
to talk about these issues uh, with the real hard facts. And we have a lot of work to do as we continue our work here on EdUp Health Up to transform healthcare through innovative education and workforce solutions. So again, thank you to Sean. I want to thank all of our uh, listeners as well. Uh, look forward to joining you and hearing from all of you soon on the next episode. We will talk soon. Thank you all.